0: CHAPTER NINE PART ONE OF THE VOYAGE OUT BY VIRGINIA WOLFE THIS SLEEPERBOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN An hour passed and the downstairs rooms at the hotel grew dim and were almost deserted, while the little box-like squares above them were brilliantly irradiated. Some forty or fifty people were going to bed. The thump of jugs set down on the floor above could be heard, and the clink of china for there was not as thick a partition between the rooms as one might wish so miss allen the elderly lady who had been playing bridge determined giving the wall a smart rap with her knuckles it was only matchboard she decided run up to make many little rooms of one large one her grey petticoat slipped to the ground and stooping She folded her clothes with neat, if not loving, fingers, screwed her hair into a plait, wound her father's great gold watch, and opened the complete works of Wordsworth. She was reading the Prelude, partly because she always read the Prelude abroad, and partly because she was engaged in writing a short primer of English literature, Beowulf to Swinburne which would have a paragraph on Wordsworth. She was deep in the fifth book, stopping indeed to pencil a note when a pair of boots dropped one after another on the floor above her. She looked up and speculated. Whose boots were they, she wondered. She then became aware of a swishing sound next door. A woman, clearly, putting away her dress. It was succeeded by a gentle tapping sound, such as that which accompanies hairdressing. It was very difficult to keep her attention fixed upon the prelude. Was it Susan Warrington tapping? She forced herself, however, to read to the end of the book. When she placed a mark between the pages, sighed contentedly, and then turned out the light. Very different was the room through the wall though as like in shape as one egg-box is like another. As Miss Allen read her book, Susan Warrington was brushing her hair. Ages have consecrated this hour, and the most majestic of all domestic actions, to talk of love between women. But Miss Warrington being alone could not talk. She could only look with extreme solicitude at her own face in the glass, She turned her head from side to side, tossing heavy locks, now this way, now that, and then withdrew a pace or two and considered herself seriously. I'm nice-looking, she determined. Not pretty, possibly, she drew herself up a little. Yes, most people would say I was handsome. She was really wondering what Arthur Benning would say she was. Her feeling about him was decidedly queer. She would not admit to herself that she was in love with him, or that she wanted to marry him. Yet she spent every minute, when she was alone, in wondering what he thought of her, and in comparing what they had done today with what they had done the day before. He didn't ask me to play, but he certainly followed me into the hall, she meditated, summing up the evening. She was thirty years of age, and owing to the number of her sisters and the seclusion of life in a country parsonage, had as yet had no proposal of marriage. The hour of confidences was often a sad one, and she had been known to jump into bed, treating her hair unkindly, feeling herself overlooked by life in comparison with others. She was a big, well-made woman the red lying upon her cheeks in patches that were too well-defined. But her serious anxiety gave her a kind of beauty. She was just about to pull back the bedclothes when she exclaimed, Oh, but I'm forgetting, and went to her writing table. A brown volume lay there stamped with the figure of the year. She proceeded to write in the square, ugly hand of a mature child as she wrote daily year after year, keeping the diaries, though she seldom looked at them. A.M. Talked to Mrs. H. Elliot about country neighbors. She knows the Mans, also the Selby Caraways. How small the world is. Like her. Read a chapter of Miss Appleby's Adventure to Aunt E. P.M. Played lawn tennis with Mr. Parrot and evelyn m don't like mr p have a feeling that he is not quite though clever certainly beat them day splendid view wonderful one gets used to no trees though much too bare at first cards after dinner aunt e cheerful though twingy she says mem ask about damp sheets she knelt in prayer and then lay down in bed tucking the blankets comfortably about her and in a few minutes her breathing showed that she was asleep with its profoundly peaceful sighs and hesitations it resembled that of a cow standing up to its knees all night through in the long grass a glance into the next room revealed little more than a nose prominent above the sheets growing accustomed to the darkness for the windows were open and showed grey squares with splinters of starlight one could distinguish a lean form terribly like the body of a dead person the body indeed of william pepper asleep too Thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Here were three Portuguese men of business, asleep presumably, since a snore came with the regularity of a great ticking clock. Thirty-nine was a corner room at the end of the passage, but late though it was, one struck gently downstairs. A line of light under the door showed that someone was still awake. How late you are, Hugh! A woman lying in bed said in a peevish but solicitous voice, her husband was brushing his teeth and for some moments did not answer. You should have gone to sleep, he replied. I was talking to Thornbury, but you know that I never can sleep when I'm waiting for you. She said to that, he made no answer but only remarked, Well, then, we'll turn out the light. They were silent. The faint but penetrating pulse of an electric bell could now be heard in the corridor. Old Mrs. Paley, having woken hungry but without her spectacles, was summoning her maid to find the biscuit box. The maid having answered the bell, drearily respectful even at this hour, though muffled in a mackintosh, the passage was left in silence. Downstairs all was empty and dark, but on the upper floor a light still burnt in the room where the boots had dropped so heavily above Miss Allen's head. Here was the gentleman who, a few hours previously, in the shade of the curtain, had seemed to consist entirely of legs. Deep in an armchair he was reading the third volume of Gibbon's History of the Decline and Fall of Rome by Candlelight. As he read, he knocked the ash automatically, now and again, from his cigarette, and turned the page, while a whole procession of splendid sentences entered his capacious brow and went marching through his brain in order. It seemed likely that this process might continue for an hour or more, until the entire regiment had shifted its quarters. Had not the door opened and the young man who was inclined to be stout, come in with large naked feet. Oh, Hurst! What I forgot to say was... Two minutes, said Hurst, raising his finger. He safely stowed away the last words of the paragraph. What was it you forgot to say? he asked. Do you think you do make enough allowance for feelings? asked Mr. Hewitt. He had again forgotten what he had meant to say. After intense contemplation of the Immaculate Gibbon, Mr Hurst smiled at the question of his friend. He laid aside his book and considered. I should call yours a singularly untidy mind, he observed. Feelings? Aren't they just what we do allow for? We put love up there and all the rest somewhere down below. With his left hand he indicated the top of a pyramid, and with his right the base. But you didn't get out of bed to tell me that, he added severely. I got out of bed, said Hewitt vaguely, merely to talk, I suppose. Meanwhile I shall undress, said Hurst. When naked of all but his shirt, and bent over the basin, Mr. Hurst no longer impressed one with the majesty of his intellect. But, with the pathos of his young yet ugly body, for he stooped, and he was so thin that there were dark lines between the different bones of his neck and shoulders. Women interest me, said Hewitt, who sitting on the bed with his chin resting on his knees, paid no attention to the undressing of Mr. Hurst. They're so stupid, said Hurst. You're sitting on my pajamas i suppose they are stupid hewitt wondered there can't be two opinions about that i imagine said hurst hopping briskly across the room unless you're in love that fat woman warrington he inquired not one fat woman all fat women hewitt sighed the women i saw tonight were not fat said hurst who was taking advantage of hewitt's company to cut his toenails Describe them, said Hewitt. You know I can't describe things, said Hurst. They were much like other women, I should think. They always are. No, that's where we differ, said Hewitt. I say everything's different. No two people are in the least the same. Take you and me now. So I used to think once, said Hurst. But now they're all types. Don't take us. Take this hotel. You could draw circles round the whole lot of them and they'd never stray outside. You can kill a hen by doing that, Hewitt murmured. Mr. Hewling Elliot, Mrs. Hewling Elliot, Miss Allen, Mr. and Mrs. Thornbury, one circle, Hurst continued, Miss Warrington, Mr. Arthur Venning, Mr. Parrott, Evelyn M., another circle. Then there are a whole lot of natives, finally ourselves. Are we all alone in our circle? asked Hewitt. Quite alone, said Hurst. You try to get out, but you can't. You only make a mess of things by trying. I'm not a hen in a circle, said Hewitt. I'm a dove on a treetop. I wonder if this is what they call an ingrowing toenail, said Hurst examining the big toe on his left foot. I flit from branch to branch, continued Hewitt. The world is profoundly pleasant. He lay back on the bed, upon his arms. I wonder if it's really nice to be as vague as you are, asked Hurst, looking at him. It's the lack of continuity. That's what's so odd about you, he went on. At the age of twenty-seven which is nearly thirty. You seem to have drawn no conclusions. A party of old women excites you still, as though you were three. Hewitt contemplated the angular young man, who was neatly brushing the rims of his toenails into the fireplace in silence for a moment. I respect you, Hurst, he remarked. I envy you. Some things, said Hurst. Your capacity for not thinking. Two, people like you better than they like me. Women like you, I suppose. I wonder whether that isn't really what matters most, said Hewitt. Lying now flat on the bed, he waved his hand in vague circles above him. Of course it is, said Hurst. But that's not the difficulty. The difficulty is, isn't it? to find an appropriate object. "'There are no female hens in your circle?' asked Hewitt. "'Not the ghost of one,' said Hurst. Although they had known each other for three years, Hurst had never yet heard the true story of Hewitt's loves. In general conversation it was taken for granted that they were many. But in private the subject was allowed to lapse. The fact that he had money enough to do no work, and that he had left Cambridge after two terms owing to a difference with the authorities, and had then travelled and drifted, made his life strange at many points where his friends' lives were much of a piece. I don't see your circles. I don't see them, Hewitt continued. I see a thing like a teetotum, spinning in and out knocking into things, dashing from side to side, collecting numbers, more and more and more, till the whole place is thick with them, round and round they go, out there, over the rim, out of sight. His fingers showed that the waltzing teetotums had spun over the edge of the counterpane, and fallen off the bed into infinity could you contemplate three weeks alone in this hotel asked hurst after a moment's pause hewitt proceeded to think the truth of it is that one never is alone and one never is in company he concluded meaning said hurst meaning oh something about bubbles auras what do you call em you can't see my bubbles i can't see yours All we see of each other is a speck, like the wick in the middle of that flame. The flame goes about with us everywhere. It's not ourselves exactly, but what we feel. The world is short, or people mainly, all kinds of people. A nice streaky bubble yours must be, said Hurst. And supposing my bubble could run into someone else's bubble? and they both burst put in hurst then 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 pondered hewitt as if to himself it would be an enormous world he said stretching his arms to their full width as though even so they could hardly clasp the billowy universe for when he was with hurst he always felt unusually sanguine and vague I don't think you altogether as foolish as I used to, Hewitt, said Hurst. You don't know what you mean, but you try to say it. But aren't you enjoying yourself here? asked Hewitt. On the whole, yes, said Hurst. I like observing people. I like looking at things. This country is amazingly beautiful. Did you notice how the top of the mountain turned yellow tonight? Really, we must take our lunch and spend the day out. You're getting disgustingly fat," he pointed at the calf of Hewitt's bare leg. We'll get up an expedition, said Hewitt energetically. We'll ask the entire hotel. We'll hire donkeys and— Oh, Lord, said Hurst, do shut it. I can see Miss Warrington and Miss Allen and Mrs. Elliot and the rest squatting on the stones, and quacking, how jolly! We'll ask Venning and Parrot, and Miss Murgatroyd. Everyone we can lay hands on, went on Hewitt. What's the name of the little old grasshopper with the eyeglasses? Pepper? Pepper shall lead us. Thank God you'll never get the donkeys, said Hurst. I must make a note of that, said Hewitt slowly dropping his feet to the floor. Hurst escorts Miss Warrington. Pepper advances alone on a white ass. Provisions equally distributed. Or shall we hire a mule? The matrons, there's Mrs Paley by Jove, share a carriage. That's where you'll go wrong, said Hurst, putting virgins among matrons. "'How long should you think that an expedition like that would take, Hurst?' asked Hewitt. "'From twelve to sixteen hours, I would say,' said Hurst. "'The time usually occupied by a first confinement.' "'It will need considerable organization,' said Hewitt. He was now padding softly round the room, and stopped to stir the books on the table. They lay heaped one upon another.' WE SHALL WANT SOME POETS, TOO, HE REMARKED. NOT GIBBON, NO. DO YOU HAPPEN TO HAVE MODERN LOVE, OR JOHN Donne? YOU SEE, I CONTEMPLATE PAUSES WHEN PEOPLE GET TIRED OF LOOKING AT THE VIEW, AND THEN IT WOULD BE NICE TO READ SOMETHING RATHER DIFFICULT ALOUD. MISSUS PALEY WILL ENJOY HERSELF, SAID HURST. MISSUS PALEY WILL ENJOY IT, CERTAINLY, SAID Hewitt. It's one of the saddest things I know, The way elderly ladies cease to read poetry, And yet how appropriate this is! I speak as one who plums life's dim profound, One who at length can sound clear views and certain, But after love what comes? A scene that lowers, a few sad vacant hours, And then the curtain i dare say mrs paley is the only one of us who can really understand that we'll ask her said hurst please hewitt if you must go to bed draw my curtain few things distress me more than the moonlight hewitt retreated pressing the poems of thomas hardy beneath his arm and in their beds next door to each other both the young men were soon asleep Between the extinction of Hewitt's candle and the rising of a dusky Spanish boy who was the first to survey the desolation of the hotel in the early morning, a few hours of silence intervened. One could almost hear a hundred people breathing deeply, and however wakeful and restless it would have been hard to escape sleep in the middle of so much sleep looking out of the windows there was only darkness to be seen all over the shadowed half of the world people lay prone and a few flickering lights in empty streets marked the places where their cities were built red and yellow omnibuses were crowding each other in piccadilly sumptuous women were rocking at a standstill but here in the darkness an owl flitted from tree to tree and when the breeze lifted the branches the moon flashed as if it were a torch. Until all people should awake again the houseless animals were abroad, the tigers and the stags, and the elephants coming down in the darkness to drink at pools. The wind at night blowing over the hills and woods was purer and fresher than the wind by day, and the earth robbed of detail more mysterious than the earth coloured and divided by roads and fields for six hours this profound beauty existed and then as the east grew whiter and whiter the ground swam to the surface the roads were revealed the smoke rose and the people stirred and the sun shone upon the windows of the hotel at santa marina until they were uncurtained and the gong blaring all through the house gave notice of breakfast. Directly breakfast was over, the ladies, as usual, circled vaguely, picking up papers and putting them down again about the hall. "'And what are you going to do today?' asked Mrs. Elliot, drifting up against Miss Warrington. Mrs. Elliot, the wife of Hewling, the Oxford Don, was a short woman, whose expression was habitually plaintive. Her eyes moved from thing to thing as though they never found anything sufficiently pleasant to rest upon for any length of time. "'I'm going to try to get Aunt Emma out into the town,' said Susan. "'She's not seen a thing yet.' "'I call it so spirited of her at her age,' said Mrs Elliot. "'Coming all this way from her own fireside,' "'Yes, we always tell her she'll die on board ship,' Susan replied. "'She was born on one,' she added. "'In the old days,' said Mrs. Elliot, "'a great many people were. "'I always pity the poor women so. "'We've got a lot to complain of.' "'She shook her head. "'Her eyes wandered about the table, "'and she remarked irrelevantly. "'The poor little Queen of Holland,' Newspaper reporters practically, one may say, at her bedroom door. "'Were you talking of the Queen of Holland?' said the pleasant voice of Miss Allen, who was searching for the thick pages of the Times among a litter of thin foreign sheets. "'I always envy anyone who lives in such an excessively flat country,' she remarked. "'How very strange,' said Mrs. Elliot. I find a flat country so depressing. I'm afraid you can't be very happy here then, Miss Allen, said Susan. On the contrary, said Miss Allen, I am exceedingly fond of mountains. Perceiving the times at some distance, she moved off to secure it. Well, I must find my husband, said Mrs. Elliot, fidgeting away. And I must go to my aunt, said Miss Warrington and taking up the duties of the day, they moved away. Whether the flimsiness of foreign sheets, and the coarseness of their type, is any proof of frivolity and ignorance, there is no doubt that English people scarce consider news read there as news. Any more than a programme bought from a man in the street inspires confidence in what it says. A very respectable elderly pair having inspected the long tables of newspapers did not think it worth their while to read more than the headlines the debate on the fifteenth should have reached us by now mrs thornbury murmured mr thornbury who was beautifully clean and had read rubbed into his handsome worn face like traces of paint on a weather-beaten wooden figure Looked over his glasses and saw that miss allen had the times the couple therefore sat themselves down in armchairs and waited end of chapter nine part one